The Lord be with you. And as we come to spend this next hour, let me very quickly say thank you to every one of you that gave birthday greetings to me in this last week. Um, I, I deeply appreciate your words and your blessing. Um, some persons, uh, you, you told me how the first time that you heard me, you were 12 years old, and that was some 47 years ago. That makes me feel not only like a father in the faith, but a grandfather in the faith. And um, it was great to read that and to know that um, all those years the Lord has been with us and has established this message of God's love, not only in ourselves, but in so many of you. And thank you also for those of you that have over the weeks uh, sent offerings that make this possible. We offer this program every week free of charge to the entire world, and we are supported in so doing by those of you that send in your gifts of love. Thank you. Okay, I want to look at Psalm number three. That's where we were last week, and we'll be there for a few more weeks. And let me just read at least a few verses to bring us uh, back to centered in this, this psalm. Psalm number three. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance, or we saw there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. I'll leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> it is that psalm that was written as David's son Absalom was coming against him to kill him and take the kingdom. It was the day when civil war broke out, when David lost everything that he had, was now a refugee running from his own palace, running from his own country with his son in hot pursuit. The darkest, most abysmal day probably of David's life. I, I would say of anybody's life. Now, as we look at this psalm, and I, I'd like, I mean, you could memorize this psalm so you're very familiar with it as we keep coming to it again and again. To, to get the very last dregs of the life of God that's here for us. But as you read this psalm, increasingly understanding when it was written, what you've got here is a snapshot. You know what I mean? It's like a, a quick photograph uh, of David's heart when he's under pressure and when everything has collapsed around him, when life is chaotic. Uh, right at that very moment, we have this Holy Spirit snapshot, this, this uh, 
fast freezing of David's spirit as he stands in that darkness. And, and what we see is under these extreme circumstances, we see right there in front of us, put into words, this man's faith in action. And, and we hear it. If you keep on reading that psalm, you'll begin to hear the assurance with which he speaks. There's, there's no doubt whatsoever in, in his tone. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are the glory, my glory, the one who lifts my head. The Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid, and so on. This man has absolute assurance and in there, as we're going to look tonight, in there you have, if I could use the word, the how. I, I'm not too sure I like that. It suggests a formula which is not so. This is the opening up. This is the filleting of a relationship. That's the how. The how David walks in these impossible moments and to discover where his strength and assurance comes from. That's what I want to do. Now, I think it would be true to say that for many persons listening tonight, um, you might look at David as, shall I say, unique. I mean, he, he's the subject of a great part of the scripture. Uh, so the moment his name crops up in Scripture, that makes him unique, surely different, other, uh, and the amount of space given to him, and then the whole book of Psalms is this man's conversation with the Lord, his wrestling with his confusions before the Lord. We have this man fills a lot of scripture and so when you say David you don't think of your next door neighbor. You don't think of the person that sits in front of you in church. He, he's other, he's different. No, no, he doesn't sit with you in church. He's the chap we talk about in church. And if you're in some churches, he'll be in the stained glass window. He's the fellow with the woolly white beard and the halo around his head. He's not like us. That's the opinion of many people. In fact, not only of David, but as so many characters of Scripture come across our paths as we read and know the Scripture. But the fact is... And really, I, I would hesitate to go any further until you get this. The fact is that David is exactly like us. Maybe more than most in the scripture, he's like us. Uh, although I'm hesitating there because when you really get to know these uh, fellows and girls of scripture, they, they are very much like us. But David especially... His whole life is just strewn across the pages of Scripture. No apologies. Uh, th this is the fellow with all his failures and all his mess-ups. This is David. And, and, and I say, he's exactly like us. In fact, because of his being exactly like us, that's the reason that this is happening. It's because of his awful failures in life 
and and the way he was not the father he should have been to Absalom all those factors play into what is right now happening in the writing of this psalm and right Absalom his son is now rising up against him why the people stood with Absalom and not with David it's because he is so human so human um and, and we've got to understand that I mean honestly what's the use of reading this if the man that it's about the man who wrote it is not like us I mean people speak of these Bible characters as if they were aliens coming from another planet another dimension no I find myself in David you find yourself in David I am right there in many many ways I read through the Psalms of David when he's he's railing and saying you know what's happening to me and in his confusion yes I've been there I I thank him for his words because they express my heart this Psalm and all that we're talking about here is about you and I people like us people of like passions and mind as us it's about us the Bible doesn't apologize the Bible tells us this is what he was like but then it also tells us he was a man after God's own heart it's it just underscores this incredible this limitless love of God that embraces us just ordinary people like us and brings us to these insights and understandings of the character of God okay so what we're looking at here is for us the Holy Spirit made sure David wrote this down at this specific time because it's for us to learn how we walk in life in confident faith so I might also quickly add just to back that up David did not know that he was writing the inspired Word of God when he wrote this I hope you understand that I mean the, the Holy Spirit doesn't say to David well now hold your pen I am about to dictate through you and what you write will be inspired and read for millennia to come no no David sitting as I told you last week on the top of Mount of Olives in the state of mind that he was in and this is how he grounded himself in God and, and because it was such a momentous occasion in his walk with God he writes it down you could say he wrote it in his journal he he, he wrote it in the scroll in which he kept his poems and psalms no idea that you and I would be reading this and talking about it 3,000 years later no it's I say he did this just as one of us okay my first question as I approach this psalm is David where did you get all of this you might think that that's a terrible thing to ask I mean again if, if this is inspired word of God then where did he get it the Holy Spirit just says bam 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 he's got it but that's not how it works the the Word of God came to people but also came in the flow of their lives and, and as I say they didn't know that they were writing down the Word of God 
Now this wasn't something the Holy Spirit just flashed on a screen to David. This is David when the pressure's on and he's now reaching into the depths of his spirit. And I say again then, where did he get these words? Did they just come out of the blue? I mean, uh, that, that's, you see, where we, we think he's unique. He's other than us. He just sat down and says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Just a wee out of the blue. Uh, no. Or did he, is he such a poet that he made these wonderful words up and you know, just comes out of him, your shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I mean, is, is that uh, just because he's a poet? No. No, how David came to this, let me say, is the same as we can come to such assurance of faith. We, in exactly the same way as he did, so we can come to that faith that can walk through the darkness. And that's what we're looking at. How He had his Bible, put it that way, David's Bible. It, it was the first five books of the Bible. At the point where he was at, the first five books of the Bible would constitute what he understood as the Scripture. It was his Bible. And there followed after the, the history books of Joshua and Judges and Samuel. But he was already, when he wrote this, he was already part of Samuel. So that would hardly be written and seen in Scripture. What, what they really saw as their Bible was the first five books, the Pentateuch or the Torah, and he would have heard it. I mean, you couldn't go to a store and buy a copy of it. There were the great scrolls in the temple and available copied here and there. And it is very obvious that David had a great knowledge of those first five books of the Bible. If you, if you read through what David says, you hear echoes all the time. He's quoting from those first five books of the Bible, especially the book of Deuteronomy. And so he had certainly heard it and heard it many times, probably from his father Jesse, and he would have heard it in the tabernacle it was there, but it is possible that he had read it himself. And certainly being of that age in, in, time, time, in, in Scripture times, the people would memorize it. And this is what they were commanded to do in the book of Je Deuteronomy, to memorize. And, and the ability of such persons to memorize so is beyond ours or even our comprehension. Um, they could memorize whole books uh, and, and masses of verses and be absolutely to the point. The, the parents were told to take their children and as they went on a walk, they would talk the scriptures, memorize scriptures. When they sat at the table, when they sat in, in leisure time to talk, it was always they were teaching their children the scripture. And so David... Uh, maybe more than anybody in, in his day, he knew those first five books of the Bible, read them, heard them over and over again, memorized them. And what he is saying here, please get this, 
the words, the great words of this psalm, they are all from those first five books of the Bible. In those first five books, the Lord reveals himself. We call it his self-revelation. He takes the initiative in telling us, this is who I am. This is how my love works. And this is the kind of love that I have. It is covenant love. I swear on my own being. I swear on my own life that I am with you. I am for you. It's all there. First time mentioned in the in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, and I say again that that was his his Bible, and that's what he knew. And so he says, the people are saying there's no salvation for him in God. But he goes down and he says, Arise, O Lord, save me. Same word. Then in verse 8, he shouts with triumph, Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is taken from the book of Exodus, where the Lord revealed to Moses and the people of Israel who were coming out of slavery and yet as they stood on the shores of the Red Sea were in fact still at the point of being re-enslaved and so they were not really free at that point and at that time as I believe I told you last week, that, that was the time when the word salvation was first used, when the Lord commanded Moses and the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And, and so the whole story of the Exodus, the story of how God took these slaves out from under the oppression of the Pharaoh of Egypt and led them and, and then finally at the Red Sea he cuts them off from their enemies forever and, and he says that's my salvation and, and it's absolutely impossible for a human to do anything. You, you are standing at the moment of inevitable slavery or more probably death. And you're standing there, God says, now I'll step in and do what you cannot do. In fact, I will take you to the bottom of the sea, which normally would have meant death, but he'd opened the sea, so what was normally death became resurrection. And they came out the other side, and all they could do was dance and sing and say that all our enemies are cast into the sea. Salvation, the word which means essentially deliverance, deliverance from oppression and, and, and those that will be tyrants over our lives and deliverance to life of peace and life of fullness and abundance of life. Salvation. And I say again, that, that, that was stated in Exodus. The Lord said, you stand still see the salvation of the Lord. And then uh, later on when they anticipated enemies that would come against them, uh, in Leviticus 26, uh, he, he says that they are so joined with him in covenant that each man and woman, and in fact, would, would be more than themselves. 
that, that their deliverance would come about from their oppressing enemies because God himself was their life and so they looked just like one human but in effect they would have the, the power, the strength of ten times their own person and they would be saved thus out of their, their situations. Deuteronomy 20 where he says now when people come to oppress you on that day remember the battle is not yours it is the Lord's and and so he he expressed it I'm joined to you and I'm joined to you to be your salvation I am your deliverance I am the one that shall overcome your enemies I will keep you I will bring you into a place of abundance I'm your salvation that was said, I say again, in Exodus, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. See, it's right there in those first books. Uh, and then David says, you are my shield about me. Well, do you know the very first words that God spoke to Abraham when he was entering into covenant with him? I mean, if you've been around this program for very long you, you know that I'm always referring to the covenant the whole Bible is based on the covenants and of the Old Testament covenants the one that stands like a mountain peak above the others is that with Abraham because that leads us directly to Jesus but do you, do you remember the situation where um, Abraham is basically, I'm paraphrasing quickly here, but he's offered um, protection and money, big time money, from the king of Sodom. And Abraham says, no, it will never be, never be that the king of Sodom can say, I made Abraham rich. And, and therefore, Abraham sort of depends upon me for his his wealth and his livelihood, his protection. Uh, Abraham said that. And, and thereafter, the Lord comes to Abraham and, and announces that he is going to make covenant with Abraham. And as you know, that is the total joining of two persons to share life and history and strengths and weaknesses so that all of Abraham's weaknesses would be swallowed up in God's strength and, and at that time for the first time in scripture the Lord announces to Abraham basically yes you are right the king of Sodom you don't enter into covenant with him he said I am a shield to you I am your exceeding great reward. And that was the first words of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Exodus 15. That it stands there at the very beginning that I'm around you like a shield. I'm behind you. I'm ahead of you. I'm beside you. And not merely externally, but I am within you, your shield. We are one, and for persons to come against you, they'll have to get through me first. We're in this in togetherness that is sworn in blood. I am your shield, he said to Abraham. Your glory. You know, that is, is one of the, uh, it's almost too big to just say anything about right now. Um, 
my glory. But just let me put it this way, that when they came out of Egypt, as we've already discussed, went through the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai. And here they are. I mean, can, can you imagine it? It's hard. These people had been slaves for, well, nearly half a millennia. It, it, it was 400 plus years they had been in Egypt and increasingly the slavery had intensified. So there was no one there who could remember not being a slave. And so they, they had that slave mentality, that, that mentality of victim. And, and that always comes with a hunch of the shoulders and the downcast eyes, the sense of unworthiness and no good. Uh, they had no education, just a mob of slaves that had been brought out of Egypt and were now in the beginning, though they couldn't recognize it, being formed into a nation. And, and there, to this bunch, well, well, that's about all I could say, this mob uh, of, of people, the Lord spoke to them in Exodus 19, and he says, you yourselves, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, I brought you to myself. Hey, ho, ho, hold it, who are we talking about here? Mob of slaves? No, says the Lord, they're my people, and I took you to myself, and I was like a mother eagle over her young. You had great worth and value to me. Then he goes on and says, if you'll indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Hey, he says, you shall be my own possession. That's a very um, awkward phrase to put into English. It, it basically means you will be um, my, my, my special people, my unique people. Um, I have said in years past, it, it means my pocket money in the sense that he says, for all the earth is mine, but you'll be my own possession. That is, all my money is mine to pay my bills and buy our food and whatever, but pocket money means that's mine to do my pleasure with. And that's what God was saying. And you'll be a holy nation. You'll be a kingdom of priests. Just a minute, are you talking about the same people that I'm looking at? What he is saying here, that God himself was the glory of these people. And in their midst, he revealed that glory and showed his presence. And they became the awe of the entire world. Yes, there's more to these people than meet the eye. They are a people in covenant with God. And in covenant with God... They have the glory of God upon them. He said, you are the lifter of my head, which means, and we'll get to it another week in full, but it means the one who encourages me, the one who infuses strength into me, because now my head has been hung low because of what everyone is saying and what is happening but you are the one who lifts my head. You encourage, you infuse with courage. Well, that too 
is in the first five books of the Bible where the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, um, it's at the end of Deuteronomy, right at the very end, and, and, and it says, be of good courage. And when God says, be of good courage, in that word is the courage. He's not telling Moses and Joshua, have a jolly good try at having courage. When he says, be of good courage, it's the same thing as he said in Genesis 1, light be, uh, and, and, you know, the dry land appear, and when God says it, it is so. And, and so God spoke his courage into them. He told them, do not be afraid, do not tremble before all that you're facing in life, because I am your strength. I will go before you, he said there in Deuteronomy. I'll go before you. I'll prepare the way. I'll be your strength in going. Nothing can stand before you all the days of your life. So all these words that David uses in this psalm, they were not invented by David. David is getting them from his Bible, which I say again in those days was the first five books of our Bible. And so the Lord has already said he is the salvation of his people. He's already declared that he is the shield of Abraham and the covenant. He, he has said he's the glory of those who have nothing except the clothes on their back. He has said he is the courage and strength against all that might come against us. Okay. But those scriptures that I have referred to in those first five books that David had read, they, they were old. <laughs> I mean, even to David, where David stood, those books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they were centuries old. We're dealing with ancient scriptures, even to David. Um, and, just, I mean, hold it a minute. God said to Abraham, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. He said to Moses and those original slaves out of Egypt that he was their glory and, and the one that made them so unique among peoples. Uh, do you understand that David revered Abraham very much the same way as people today revere David? See what I'm saying? For David to go back to Genesis, he was going to a book that was centuries old. He was going back to Abraham, the father of Israel, and one to be held in awe and honor. And if they had stained glass in that day, it would be the one in the stained glass window with the woolly beard and the halo. Please understand that. Moses, when David looked back to Moses, centuries before him he looked at the one that had been the molder and the fashioner of the nation of Israel so what's that got to do with David then God said to Abraham he was his shield he said to those original Israelites who were the founding fathers of Israel that 
they were his own possession and so on what's that got to do with me I'm turning the pages that are hundreds of years old and yet he speaks boldly in this psalm that God is all of that to him it was said to Abraham but David takes a hold of it and says it is spoken to me and everything that God was to Moses and those people centuries ago he is that in this now moment to me this is terribly important what what is David doing he is doing exactly what God told the people to do read Deuteronomy chapter 8 because we don't have time to look at it in, in great detail but just enough uh, verse 2 Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 8 verse 2 you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years and he goes on to describe that and, and how God kept them with the manna for food and your clothing did not wear out and your foot did not swell these 40 years um, and your Lord God is bringing you into a good land and but then it says verse 11 beware that you do not forget Lord your God that is the Lord your God brought you through the desert the Lord your God looked after you remember that remember it and then do not forget that he says do not forget it he says and, and if you do forget it when your herds and your flocks multiply your silver and gold multiply then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God goes over and over that whole chapter is addressing the issue remember what God has said remember what he has done do not forget what God has said do not forget what he has done and I could take you on through especially Deuteronomy it's over and over again remember do not forget and then in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, I've already quoted that you, you are to pound this into your children, that this shall be your conversation so they shall grow up with this in the very genes of their soul. Now, it's this word, remember, and I know I've spoken to some of you about this in time past, so forgive me for repeating, but it's of such importance that this is what David was doing and he's doing it because Deuteronomy 8 commanded him to to remember in the meaning that it has in the Bible that's so important because the meaning of remember here in the West and where English is spoken it's a mental thing remembering is a mental thing whereby we try to go back through the fog of time and somehow in in the imagination we recreate a situation and we say we've remembered it um, and if we forget it means we go back only there's nothing there and and we we cannot put it together there's not enough there in our memory to bring it back together and so we we, we forgetting becomes a mental lapse or 
it, it, it becomes a sort of minor amnesia. No, in the scripture, the meaning of these words is actually totally different. And please hear me. And when you come on these words, remember, forget, which are all through the Old Testament. You've got to know what it means. In the scripture, the Hebrew word for remember, it means to bring whatever was said or done in the past, whether you were there or not, that was said or done or revealed in the historical past, you bring it into the present moment. And you bring it into the present moment with, with uh, great deliberation, with great intention. Because it, this isn't a passing thought. This is the sort of making a monument in my life to bring something that exists in the historical past and I'm bringing it into the present moment. I am recalling it from the past into now so that that event is present in the now. And, and, and what is so monumental about that? It is that I now say that that past event has authority in my life now. And all the powers released in that past event are present now. So I stand under the authority of that event, in the powers of that event, and I yield to that that was said, that was done, that revealed. I yield to it now, and I obey whatever it is saying to me to live my life now in accord with that for that to now direct my life in this moment so it's not a mental thing at all it, it is bringing an event from the past into the present to yield to that to live under its authority to direct my life according to that and to draw the very power that was released in that past event into the present. You could say, my brain looks back and says that that event, that word, was. The Bible term, remember, says I bring that event here and say it now is. And when I'm talking about what God did and what he revealed of himself in doing that and what he said to persons in the past, this becomes terribly important. It means I'm not reading only historical documents. I am reading and through the Holy Spirit bringing what I'm reading into this present moment to say it is. My brain says it was. My spirit, joined to the Holy Spirit, says it was and it now is. And I now live in the immediate presence of the God who revealed himself and is unchangeable and is here and is now. So, the word forget in the same idea is not a mental lapse. 
It's not an amnesia. No. To forget is to leave an event or an action or a word, to leave it back there in the past as ancient history. And its authority is back there in the past. Its commands have no effect on me today. It's irrelevant. I don't live then. Uh, that was then. This is now. That's what forget says. Forget looks at something that God said and did centuries ago and, and says, well, you know, that, that's irrelevant today. <laughs> it, 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 in fact, they, they would say it's so irrelevant we look upon it as myth. I mean, just as a quick sidebar, I don't want to get off this subject of Psalm 3, but I, I go into among many um, believers and they tell me that all of the healings of the Gospels, just um, they were only there to get the church started. And they look at me straight in the eye with such sincerity and say that all miracles and all healings stopped when the last apostle dropped dead. Then, biblically speaking, they have forgotten the gospel and they've forgotten the promises of Jesus. Do you understand me? They say yes, or they... they in that sense, in our Western use of the word, they, they, they remember reading that and they know it's there. But they say it's, it's, it's ancient history. It's to the point almost of magic and myth. It doesn't happen today. It's of no interest to us today. And so it stays there. It stays in the past without any effect upon my life today. It stays in the past and I'm disconnected to it. It just hangs there in the past like a dead thing. Religion. You know, I use that term often. And a great part of what I mean by religion. Religion is forgetting God. I know that, that sounds ridiculous. Because the religious person studies God, debates God, talks about God. Reads God book. But if you're understanding what I'm saying, they've forgotten. That is, it's an irrelevant thing. They, they read it on Sunday and live on Monday as if they never read it, and it doesn't mean anything, even if I do remember reading it. Uh, it, it, it has no effect. I, uh, God and what he has said and what he has done is in a book and, and we open it on Sunday, close it by Sunday night and when I'm in the corporate office on Monday that is irrelevant. It has no effect upon me. Nothing to obey, nothing to conform to or biblically they forgot it. Okay. Um, David in Psalm 3 is remembering all that God has revealed himself to be, all that God has done, and he is remembering it into his present moment and saying, this is who you are now, and this is who you are to me. I take this. You revealed this to Abraham. You revealed this to Moses. You revealed it to those first Israelites. But then... Once it's revealed, it becomes 
public to the world. God has said, this is who I am. This situation with Abraham and Moses was the way in which I revealed it. But once it's revealed, this is who I am, people. And centuries later, David remembered that. He brought it from the past into his present moment, and he embraced it, and he obeyed it, and he brought his life to yield to it, and his life directed by it. And so, yes, you delivered Egypt, delivered Israel from Egypt, but you are my salvation. You are the salvation for me as you were for Israel. You are my glory. You are my encourager. You infuse me with your strength. That, that, that's faith. Um, I, I, I come to know for myself the God that is revealed in history, but never to read the Bible only as history. And it would be so boring, wouldn't it? To read about a God who doesn't do these things anymore. How boring. Oh, there's another group out there. They meet them here and there. And they've taken most of the Bible and just thrown it off into the future, into some Disney world called Millennium. And so I don't know what they're left with. Because half the stuff doesn't happen anymore and the rest of it won't happen until and so you see they don't remember anything into the present they're just like robots who open a dead book that doesn't apply to anything and close the book and live as if it's irrelevant anyway I hope you're hearing what I'm saying what God said to Abraham isn't a curiosity. It's not something you look at in a biblical museum, but it went to the grave with Abraham. No, Abraham was the means by which God revealed himself. Now God says, see, this is what I'll be for everyone who will lay hold upon it. And so he's our salvation, as he was for David, as he was for Moses, as he was for the children of Israel. He's mine. He's mine. You and I can lay hold upon it as David did and say, you are my salvation. You are my shield. You are my glory. You are my glory. You, you are my lifter of the head. God is never a was. Did you hear that? God is never buried in the past as an ancient was. He is always the vibrant, ever-pressing is. All that God ever was, he is, and all that he ever shall be, he is. He's the unchangeable God. Oh, interesting in this psalm, David also forgot. Blessed forget. He forgot his failures because if David had remembered the awful affair with Bathsheba and all that flowed out of that, if he had remembered that in the meaning of the word remember that we've discussed, he would have been crushed and all the words of the people that there's no salvation for him in God, he would have been. Well, I don't think we would have heard of David if that had been the case. 
But he was bold in God to forget that. That is, to leave it in the past, where God said he forgave. And to leave it there, it has no effect on my life today. It does not intrude into my life today. If God said he has forgotten, I say I've forgotten. And what I heard from the people saying that there's no help for him, no deliverance, no salvation for him. They said it. I leave that. I forget it. All I remember is that you, O oh Lord, are my salvation. I remember into this moment, not what they're saying, not what I did, but who you are. You are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Do you hear me? I, uh, we need, I could spend another hour on this. We, we forget what we should remember. And we remember what we should forget. And of course, with the, these biblical meanings, the word that means so much more. I mean, the people said of David, there's no help for him. You know what he did. You know what kind of man he is. They were hurting him. They were calloused. They were the cruelest kind of religionist. Because... Religion is crueler than any other company on earth because it believes it has God the angry judge on their side. All the abuses, all the cruelties, all the hurts, all the insults. You know, it's amazing. We have a way of remembering that. Isn't it amazing? We remember. It happened, what, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. We can, we can almost repeat the exact words that were said. We, we can go over in detail the horror of it, like picking off a scab and making sure it bleeds again. We remember, we bring it from the past into the present and what happened decades ago is still eating and gnawing at us today. Why do we do that? Because we don't remember God and his salvation in Jesus. We don't, we don't realize that the only way to truly be free is to remember this God of infinite forgiveness and to turn that forgiveness on the persons who abused and harmed and insulted and hurt us. When the word forgive means to release them, we release them into the hands of our Father to deal with. And, and we remember his love to us and we remember how he washes and cleanses us from the horrors and calls us his child and sits us with himself and heals us with his love. And in so doing we forget. Not, you see, this meaning of the word forget is not amnesia. You know that happened, but he can't hurt you today because you've left it there in the past where it belongs and you remember the grace of God and the love of God that flows into you. That's what David was doing. 
Otherwise, this psalm would have been, well, as I say, it would never have gotten to us, but it would have been all about his enemies and how could you and did you hear what Absalom said and this is what the people said and poor me, I've had it, I'm no good. And No, he forgot. Blessedly, grace-inspired, love-initiated, he forgot because God forgot. God said that was done and you are forgiven. Now let's move on and leave that where it is. And even though what they were saying about David was only a matter of hours before that he really heard it in full, but forget. They said it. I report it to you, Lord, but forget. I remember. I remember from ancient times the Lord who changes not you are my salvation the Lord who changes not my shield my glory the lifter of my head that's what it's saying that's what he's saying and of course all of this all of this is just the embryo it's the seed that is going to come to harvest in Jesus as we said last week the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua and Yeshua translated into English is Jesus and so it all came to harvest to fullness in Jesus our salvation our deliverer it comes to fruition our shield for he overcame our true enemies the dark enemies powers of darkness he overcame them trashed them the enemies of our guilt and our shame and he is our shield and he is our shield within us huh. he's our glory for he shares with us he is in us it says Christ in you the hope of glory that the glory of God dwells in us. Don't you know that your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? We share in, in the powers of the resurrection. And that Holy Spirit infuses us with divine strength, power. And that is, and that is now. And it is for us in trusting Jesus it is that we say with God what God says, God the Father says about Jesus, about what he did, and about us in relation to him. See, God the Father says that Jesus Christ is exalted above all enemies, that every satanic power is under his feet, that he has put away sin, and he is now exalted and to him is given a name which is above every name in creation that of the name Jesus every knee should bow every tongue confess he is Lord that's what the father says about Jesus and I say amen I say that about Jesus with the father that's not a piece of ancient history that is right at this microsecond and what does he say about me and you the Father says about you and I that we were crucified with Christ. That when Jesus died, we died. 
to the whole of that old twisted rotten mankind that we were buried when Jesus was buried and that means over finished curtains buried and when he rose from the dead we rose with him leaving behind that old mankind and that we were joined with him the new mankind the new creation to sit with him at the kitchen table of the father and son and the holy spirit and called the sons and daughters of god that's what the father says we're not trying to believe it the father said that about you in relation to jesus so what do we say then thank you father if that's what you say we say it and we confess with our mouth or the word confess we say together with we say it together with the father jesus christ is lord you have raised him from the dead then you raised us from the dead and we do that when we come back as the sons and daughters of god to scripture and we come upon scripture and we see there the revelation of god this is who he is this is what he says he will do this is who he is in terms of your family this is who he is in terms of your work and your job this is his purpose of love in all of your life and we say yes lord yes and we we write our names in there he's saying it to us we remember it into this present moment you understand the Bible becomes no longer just a collection of ancient documents if it was then this is of all things most boring no this becomes the very words of God into my life at this present moment in time I have spent since I was around 17 years old I, I would write out the scripture the applicable ones as I was reading those who spoke to me and, and I would write my name in there and, and there I would read it that you are Lord are a shield about Malcolm you are Malcolm's glory and the one who lifts my head yes he's mine I've remembered it into my life at this moment and the difference between reading the scripture from a posture of forgetting that is reading the scripture as if it was just documents written 2,000 3,000 years ago or reading them as historical indeed but now remembered into my life and so read the scripture from a posture of remembrance and that's what David did that is Psalm 3 it's the difference between life and death well my time is gone and I think we are ready next week to get into some of these words that we keep saying words of the covenant that are life-changing words and so I shall be back next week to Psalm number 3 and now the blessing of God who is love almighty love limitless love unconditional love his blessing be upon you in this moment and that you shall be saved by the holy spirit from all forgetfulness 
and shall enter into this living now world of remembering who your Father is through Jesus Christ the Lord and the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. So I bless you, and that's the way it now is. Amen.